Hi, everyone. Thanks for listening today. This is IIM Innovation in Motion. Uh, my name is Lydia Kincaid. I'm the Managing Director, and we have Lee Harris, our Managing Member. We talk through in these episodes about various topics related to early stage investing. Um, and IIM in particular, we look for companies at the seed to series A stage, some a little bit below, some a little bit above. Um, and so what we're going to talk with you today about is really how we set expectations around returns when we're evaluating a company that, that we're considering an investment in and, and why those return expectations are so critical um, in moving forward with our investment process. Um, so, so Lee, as a starting point, usually what we look for um, when we're looking at a company is the potential for our investors to realize a 10x to 20x return on their dollars. Um, and we also look in terms of timing, five to seven, maybe more years, depending on how early stage the company is. Maybe you could start by walking us through why we set such a high expectation um, and how we back into that and make sure that there's some level of confidence that the potential is there for that type of return. Well, there are a couple of really strong reasons for this. First of all, in the early stage space that we're in, uh, we see a lot of failures. Luckily, in our portfolio, we've had no failures. That's not to say we won't, but we haven't to date out of 24 investments in 16 companies. But normally in the venture space, in the especially at the angel stage, out of every 10 companies, there may be at least five that go out of business. Then there may be, of those 10 companies, one or two that return the, the, the investor capital at a one-time multiple. Then there might be one or two that is a 2x or maybe even one that's a 3x. It's that one last company that is uh, going to make everything work. And maybe it's a 10x, maybe it's a 20x, maybe it's a 50x. Uh, but because of the high failure rate, we need to be working with companies that have the potential to, to go at least 10 to 20x. Uh, that's one reason. The other reason, of course, is that uh, we need to make sure that a company is operating in a, a market that is sufficient in size uh, that it will produce that kind of 10 to 20x return without requiring a disproportionate share of the market. Uh, so uh, that, that's a little extrapolation, of course, but uh, th those, those are the two primary reasons. Mm -hmm. Well, and, and just because we don't realize that return at the end, it doesn't mean that's not what we look for at the beginning um, for all the reasons that you just described. Um, what I think is pretty unique about IIM is that we've been making investments for about six years now. And so far, we've had no failures. We have had one exit that was really recent and a really, really nice return for our investors. Um, but across our 24 investments and 16 portfolio companies, they are all moving along really strong. We certainly still expect, expect, still expect failures at some point, um, but our portfolio is really healthy and really moving in the right direction right now. Um, and, and usually what venture capital funds tout as like a good IRR for their investors is a 27% IRR overall for the fund. And so just like you were describing, Lee, that's why we look for those outsized returns, knowing that eventually some will fail. We still want to get that really nice IRR um, at the end of the day for our investors. Um, maybe you could speak also, sometimes we see some companies that are 
pretty early stage in terms of being very heavy in R&D and very scientific. Um, maybe how we look at a return profile time-wise, space-wise compared to maybe a software company that already has a product in the market, what we expect in terms of a turnaround time and pace of their growth. Sure. The, he- the heavy science-based companies do take longer uh, for us to see an exit. And, and I think the audience should understand that we really, at this early stage, we're not looking for distributions uh, of, of cash flow from these companies. We want to see all the cash that they generate. If they're, if they're cash flow positive, we want to see all that going back into the business. Uh, so uh, our return comes at the end of the day when a company exits either into the public markets or an acquisition by a strategic partner. Uh, so that internal rate of return is a good measurement because it's a time value based uh, measurement of, of success. And uh, as a result, uh, you know, we're, we're constantly uh, looking for that 27% or better uh, return. In fact, the exit that we just realized, we had, it's a company we'd made two investments in, and the, the first investment that we made was right at a 27% return, uh, IRR. Uh, we invested, I think, in 2016. And then the second follow-on investment was in 2018, and that turned out to be a 35% internal rate of return. Uh, so that company was a software company. We were able to, to realize that exit in a relatively short period of time. It might have taken about a year longer than I had expected, uh, but it's still 2016 to 2021. That's, that's very good. R&D and the heavy science companies could take seven, eight, 10 years to realize the exit because it, there's a lot of times it's a regulatory pathway that has to be fulfilled. Uh, and, and proof of concept is a big deal. There's a lot of, of starts and stops along the way as they experiment. Uh, and so uh, we generally are looking again that that IRR is critical because it's a time value-based measure and if it's going to take 10 years to get, get our money back, uh, we're having to look at a very big exit. And that 10 to 20x multiple on our capital helps drive that return, that IRR, into that uh, upper 20s uh, like we're, we're seeking. But uh, the other thing that uh, uh, we see often with the R&D, uh, scientific-based types of companies, uh, they may have gotten some non-dilutive grants along the way. We really encourage that. Uh, you know, we'd like to be the last check-in at, at the early stage. That's almost never the case. Uh, the exit that we had, it was. The, we made the follow-on, and then there was no more uh, outside funding required. And uh, therefore, our exit was, was, was excellent. But it was, again, a, a software a subscription-based product. Um, and we have another, a number of other portfolio companies that are uh, heavy on the science. We know it'll take longer. Uh, there's not going to be any distributions along the way. So that 20X multiple is really going to be helpful getting us to the IRR we're seeking seven, eight, nine, ten 10 years out. You know, one thing we haven't talked about as it relates to expectations around an exit, um, 
or, or his valuation. So oftentimes I would, I would, I would say every time pretty much that the founder's expectation for evaluation is, is quite a bit higher than what our investor's expectation is. Um, and I think it takes a little bit of education sometimes um, to share exactly what we've, been, what we've been talking about, Lee, why it's so important for us to understand the potential for a 10x to 20x return. Because if we invest in a company at a valuation of $100 million, I mean, that, that exit valuation has to be just astronomical in order for us to realize the appropriate returns for the kind of risk that we're taking. And so I think that that can create friction between investors and founders when they're so far off um, with what a reasonable valuation is. Most times uh, we, we can come to the middle um, and have some, some negotiating and that also depends on who the lead investor is and what their expectations are. But maybe you can speak to the valuation piece of this and why it's so critical. Yeah, you know, when a company comes in with stars in their eyes at the outset, uh, a lot of times we hear that it's some accelerator or some conference they're getting uh, encouragement from experts to push that valuation as high as possible because often we ask, well, how did you arrive at the valuation? Nobody ever knows. Uh, it's just used to be they'd say $4 million, uh, then it became six or eight. And now we're seeing early stage, angel stage companies wanting $12, $15 million values. Now, uh, you know, if it's a unicorn type of company, which you never know if it's going to be, that doesn't sound so bad, you know, a few years down the road with that kind of an exit. But the real problem is that uh, in future funding rounds, uh, somewhere they're going to hit the wall. So if if today it's $12 million and it should be six, uh, maybe they can get their Series A at 20 or 25 or $30 million. But then where do they go from there? Because a Series B may say, yeah, maybe a down round of funding where the valuation is actually less and none of us want that. So if, if you go too strong with your valuation at the outset, uh, you're, you're potentially setting yourself up as a founder to uh, hit the wall, as I said before, uh, when it comes to future funding rounds and uh, some, some professional VCs and even private equity firms are looking at at the valuations and saying no, and that's when you really are critical uh, in need of critical capital, you're not going to get it to those kind of valuations. So that's one of the, the, the biggest reasons that we coach founders don't go crazy here with that initial valuation. That's right. Don't go crazy. Uh, but also on the flip side, we still want the founders to be incentivized and still have a sizable ownership stake in the company, along with an employee pool of stock, stock options as well, so that they can continue to hire the best talent um, who will work, you know, for, for some level of salary, but but really working for that potential upside that they can participate in when the company becomes really successful. So it is a balance. Um, but I think I think one of the worst things a company can do is set the value too high. Because then you're right, Lee, they're, they're not going to get a nice valuation down the road. Um, and nobody wants a down round. That, that's pretty disappointing for everybody right. around the table. Right. Um, so, so in addition to looking at valuation, returns, expectations, um, some other things that we look at in the early stages, well, we've talked a little bit about timing 
Um, and this one exit that we had so far, we realized an exit in that was about five years turnaround time. And you mentioned maybe some are 10 years. You know, we usually don't expect it to take 10 years, but I, I agree that with the scientific companies, they, they certainly could take longer. Um, how do you balance as an investor that risk profile? Because that's a long time to wait for an exit, but knowing that could be possible, um, is it only the total addressable market size and the potential upside? Are there other factors that you think about in order to be willing to, to manage that kind of risk? Well, and I think that the biggest thing for me as an investor is, uh, is this a painkiller or a vitamin pill? We've talked about that before. But if this is really a unique solution to a major problem, major pain point for, for some industry, uh, I'm willing to wait. Uh, if, if the founding team is strong, if the idea is creative and unique and, and shows a lot of promise, uh, if the intellectual property is protected sufficiently, uh, I'm, I'm a patient investor when it comes to that. I'm not interested in investing in a, 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 an idea that is not really uh, quite a painkiller. Maybe it's a little more than a vitamin pill. Uh, maybe there are a gazillion other companies trying to solve the same problem in the same space. I'm just not interested there to, to, to take the long-term view. Now, if, if somebody says, hey, I can make this exit happen in three years, because uh, we're going to get to market first, and, and uh, all we're working for is this, this big exit, uh, I might take a little closer look, but that bothers me a little bit too, just in terms of the dynamics of that mentality. So uh, it, to, to wait long-term, it better be a dynamite idea and uh, very unique. And there ought to be a big moat uh, to keep the competition at bay. That's right. And, and something else that we've really encouraged our investors to do, um, because our the way IIM is structured currently is that our individual investors make individual decisions about which companies to invest in that we put forth as opportunities. Um, and, you know, a lot of people just pick and choose maybe a few here or there. Some people make investments in every single company. Um, we, we have been encouraging people to make to take that diverse approach instead of just putting all their eggs in one basket. Um, for all the reasons we talked about today, we really need that diversification across the portfolio. Um, and I think any early stage investor would be wise to take that approach as well, because you just don't know. We all think they're all going to be winners. Um, but at the end of the day, that, that's probably not going to be the case. Um, so we want to make sure that we've invested in the best opportunities possible um, in a nice, diverse portfolio. Um, but that does bring up the topic. Um, we are structured that way as IIM now. We've been contemplating raising our own fund next year um, and thinking about the same verticals that we already invest in, which is agriculture, animal health, human health, still sticking with our seed to series A-ish range. Um, what else, Lee, would you want to add or maybe share with our audience things that we're contemplating for starting an early stage fund? Yes. So the way we uh, see this fund working is in collaboration with our investor group. We have a uh, right now there's a syndicate uh, and there is a, an investor group. The syndicate members uh, pay an annual fee and they're able to uh, to see everything that uh, that we look at from a, uh, a deal flow standpoint. They get all the due diligence uh, and they can make uh, decisions on whatever they want to invest in. 
they don't have to invest in everything that uh, the rest of us do. So that's one group. The investor group, uh, we have a lot of domain expertise within the investor group, and that's one of the reasons we structure it that way is to capture that domain expertise. The fund then will be the third leg of the stool, uh, and we're thinking that we'll invest three hundred to three fifty, four hundred thousand, maybe up upwards of five hundred thousand dollars in a company from the fund. Uh, maybe we're getting two hundred, two fifty or so from the investor group, and maybe another hundred or so from the, the syndicate. So now we're able to aggregate uh, six to seven hundred, seven hundred fifty thousand dollars at the seed to to to, to Series A stage, uh, and. Uh, we like to think that that's helpful to the founders to, to have a larger uh, check size. Uh, also, we would like to think that it may, may be able, we may be able to take some board seats or at least board observer roles if uh, we do that. Maybe that we, we can help create better terms for our founders as they are out raising money. Uh, we can be more of, a, of an educator when it comes to these are the kind of things you need to think about uh, and they'll be more apt to listen to us because we're writing that bigger check. Uh, so that's one of the reasons that we're doing, uh, taking this approach where the fund is concerned. Also, again, with risk management in mind, uh, having multiple uh, uh, companies uh, in that portfolio in the various verticals is is so key, we think, to managing that risk. Uh, we don't ever want to take risk. I've always preached manage risk, and that's an intentional act as opposed to taking risk, which is just you kind of just jump in there and whatever happens, happens, and we don't like that. Uh, so again, from a fund management standpoint, uh, we've already added some infrastructure. We added a venture associate recently, uh, and there will probably be some additional uh, infrastructure that we'll add uh, to serve our investors and serve our founders. Um, so there's a lot of uh, a lot of things that are going into uh, to how we create this fund, and uh, we're, we'll probably roll that out in Q2 of 2022. Really, what we've been hearing from founders is that there is this absence of capital at the early stage. I mean, there, there are certainly angel groups and individuals who are putting money in, um, but it, it is really hard for founders to raise that first one to $3 million um, because that, that's a lot of money to cobble together a bunch of individuals. And it's not quite enough money for a true like venture capital fund to be interested and be able to take the type of ownership that they want to take and, and the type of guidance. And so there's really this nice opportunity for us to come in um, and, and provide that for founders and be a support system to them, Lee, like you've described in all those ways. Um, we also hear from investors like, gosh, it would have been nice to get into this company earlier at a better valuation, get in at the ground level and, and connect with them, work with these founders more um, so that we're engaged earlier on. Um, so we're, we really are hearing it from both sides that, that this is a need in the market that hasn't yet been addressed. Well, and it's it's kind of an extension of how we started uh, right. IIM in the first place. Uh, we were uh, working with a, a later stage funding apparatus in these same verticals and realized fairly early on that 
wait a minute, there's really a big time void in the market for investment capital to come at the seed stage and, and up to the Series A. And so that's why we really got serious about uh, the way IIM has been investing the last five or six years. Uh, this is just an extension, extension of that uh, where uh, we want to formalize this process even more and write bigger checks. I mean, that's really... If, uh, at the end of the day, what's critically important is is putting more capital in these early stage companies so that they can succeed. And um, uh, that it, it, it just, like I said, extends what we started with our mission in the first place. That's right. And we, we've really been in scale mode, I would say, for the last couple of years, adding more investors, adding more companies to the portfolio, participating in more follow on rounds. We've refined a lot of our processes as well about how we do things, like you said, expanded our team. Um, so I think this fund would be a great way for us to continue that acceleration and make sure we don't lose this momentum. Um, but more to come in the coming months um, and into 2022 about what that might look like. So we're at time for today, but thanks everyone for listening and we, we appreciate your support. 